Hello and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Logan Strother, Assistant Professor of Political Science at Purdue University. We will discuss his article, An Experimental Investigation of the Effect of Supreme Court Justices' Public Rhetoric on Perceptions of Judicial Legitimacy, which is co-authored with Colin Glennon and published in Law and Social Inquiry. So welcome to the show, Logan. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, I'm so glad that you reached out to tell me about this work because it's both really interesting and super duper timely. I wonder if for listeners, you could set the stage by talking a little bit generally about the area of political science in which you're writing and the kind of kinds of questions that people in your area are interested in. So lots of political scientists are interested in this sort of broad question of Supreme Court legitimacy. Right? Um, I, I know lots of uh, law professors also talk about legitimacy quite a lot. Um, I think we mostly mean the same things. Uh, political scientists tend to study it from a little different angle, um, which is uh, to ask, like, what are the, the practical effects of changing um, public support for the court on maybe the way the justices behave, the way they conduct their business? Um, and also we study things like um, the way that court behavior or things that justices do or the, in the court as an institution does might shape public perceptions of the court. Um, so, for example, uh, there, there's lots of research in political science asking um, things like you know, whether um, – controversial decisions uh, affect the way the public broadly perceives the court. Um, you know, whether um, particular things that individual justices do shape the way that people think about the court. So the, the different types of behaviors like ultimately shape the court's legitimacy in, in, in the public eye. Um, so that very broadly is the, the, the literature that I'm uh, interfacing with here in, in uh, the, the paper we're talking about. So in this paper, you're looking specifically around a particular subset of judicial activity. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what what you're looking at, uh, why you think it's important, and why specifically you might be thinking about that right now in this particular political moment. So the court is um, growing in political salience um, in, you know, in, in recent years. Uh, polarization and, and gridlock uh, in Congress have, have made the court an even more important policymaking institution. Um, and at the same time, the court seems to be um, taking a, a new uh, or a changing view of itself as a, as a policymaker. Um, and the, the, the partisan and ideological makeup of the court um, is itself um, subject to some controversy now, right? Uh, so all of these things, like the court being salient as like a political actor, as opposed to being maybe salient as a, a court in the way that people usually think of it, um, these are these are potential threats to the the court's legitimacy. Uh, and there's there's research by both legal scholars and, and social scientists suggesting that the the justices are aware of this and. Um, 
they have some some idea of the, their public standing and they have some idea of how certain things they can do might might affect that that public standing so high profile and controversial um, things that we associate with the court or you know uh, so controversial decisions or controversial nomination proceedings these sorts of things um, the justices are aware that these things might shape institutional legitimacy in some way so uh, in uh, a couple of papers, Colin Glennon and I have uh, sought to sort of study this phenomenon on, on two fronts. Uh, in the first paper, we looked at all of the justices' public rhetoric um, over the course of um, about 20 years, running from 2000 to as far to the present as we could bring it when the paper came out. And we just looked at what the justices were talking about in these public-facing statements um, and, you know, in, in these public speeches. And we found that the large majority of the stuff the justices talk about um, is stuff that, that we call uh, legitimacy uh, maintenance. So they're describing the court as an apolitical actor. They are describing um, in often in a lot of detail the decision-making process and emphasizing how this is different than politics, right? They talk about cert. They talk about oral arguments. They talk about the decision-making process or the, the opinion writing process, right? Sometimes they talk about the judicial conference. So they really like take pains to emphasize that the court is not a political actor, right? We're not like Congress. We don't do horse trading and log rolling and all of that and for making our decisions. And it's really important to have a neutral legal decision maker like this. Uh, they also talk about like legal theory and interpretive method. And, and all this stuff is about showing how courts are different, right? In particular, the Supreme Court is different, right? So don't, don't lump us in with, with those guys in Congress. Uh, so in this first paper, we just document like that this is happening, right? That, that, that we can recognize a lot of the justices' public-facing rhetoric as legitimacy maintenance. In the second paper, the, the one that we're uh, particularly focused on here, um, Colin and I take uh, examples from like actual media um, and we show it to, to regular people in uh, opinion polls. And what we're uh, doing here in, in this, um, these are what we call survey experiments. We're seeing if this rhetoric that justices are using in this public facing way is actually effective at improving the, the court standing in the public eye. Um, so we take some real life examples um, in, in the paper. One comes in the context of a potentially controversial decision. Um, another uh comes in the context of the, the Kavanaugh nomination um, saga, for, for lack of a better word. Right? So these, these two um, you know, very true-to-life um, situations where the court was getting a lot of press and a lot of negative press, and um, we saw in practice right, justices coming out and kind of going on this speaking trail, reminding everybody that, that we're different. Uh, so, you know, for example, uh, during the, the whole Kavanaugh thing, uh, both Justice Roberts and Justice Kagan did multiple public facing um, speaking engagements. They're talking about again, the court's role, you know, the again, the decision process, setting the court apart from politics and all that things I was just just talking about. So what we wanted to know in this paper is, does this work? Right. They're, they're clearly trying to do it on their end. But does it actually does it actually land? 
And what we find across uh, three survey experiments and changing context is that this rhetoric really does work. Um, so in these survey experiments, what we do is we present people with the context, right? The background information, whether about a decision or about the, the Kavanaugh, um, the, the Kavanaugh hearing or, or whatever. And then we present them with a little bit of rhetoric from a justice. And what we're experimentally controlling is the content of that rhetoric. So it'll either be some legitimizing rhetoric or just some other rhetoric, just something, something else. And what we find is um, a pretty large um, treatment effect um, of this legitimizing rhetoric on people's view about like how political the Supreme Court is. So in other words, when, when people are presented with this the same background information about a case or about the, the nomination or whatever, um, but that comes with legitimizing rhetoric, they're much less likely to view the court as political after reading about that than if they're treated with information that, that doesn't have that legitimizing rhetoric. And at the same time, people who see this legitimizing rhetoric are also more likely um, to say that the court is a, is a legitimate institution or they rate its institutional legitimacy as, as higher um, when they receive that legitimizing rhetoric compared to when they don't. Uh, and yet, so we, we find this across like several different contexts. So it seems to be a fairly robust finding um, that you know the justices do this a lot, taking the two papers together, right? The justices do this a lot, and there uh, there is some some effect of it. So I want to get more into the details of the experimental studies that you ran, but before we do that, I mean, just by way of sort of teeing up why you would do this study in the first place. I got to say, like, anecdotally, when I see people on Twitter, for example, talk about the legitimacy of the court, they seem pretty cynical about it, right? And about the political nature of the court. Why do you think that that's the case? And sort of what's the difference between that population, if any, and the population that you're looking at in the studies that you're doing here? That's a great question. I think that people on Twitter um, are not a whole lot like the the general population. Um, And beyond like Twitter being weird, uh, we all tend to have our... um, uh, our, our Twitter networks uh, that, you know, that are heavily skewed towards um, the, the actual social networks that we're embedded in. So, you know, uh, our networks are probably pretty heavy on legal academics and social scientists who study this sort of thing. And um, we have decidedly different views about how courts work than, than, the, than the average American does. Uh, so uh, a lot of uh, people, um, view courts as a different sort of institution. Uh, so Keith Bybee has a great book from a few years ago, ago called All Judges Are Political Except When They Are Not. Um, and he's exploring in this work the uh, kind of how, how the public views courts. And uh, what he finds is people look at the courts as, as different, and they recognize that they're different than legislatures, but they, they might view them as, as somewhat political when, when they do the wrong things, right? So if the court reaches a bad, out, bad outcome, it must be because it wasn't being very courty there. It was getting a little political, right? Because if we just followed the law, I would have won, of course. Um, so I think that uh, by and large, regular Americans have this this um, predisposition to, to view the court as legal. So when they hear the justices, right, these sort of trusted 
um, elites and, um, you know, they, they think of all the trappings of, of the judiciary, the robes and the gavel and the stone temple and all that. Uh, this, this legitimizing rhetoric just sort of fits their, their expectation. Um, and it, it reinforces their sort of the bias toward, uh, thinking of the court as an apolitical, you know, neutral arbiter of, 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 you know, of cases that come before it. Um, so, and that sort of thing just, just doesn't work on, on academics by and large, right? Like those who study it intensely anyway. So for those of us who like aren't political scientists and maybe don't have as much experience in thinking about it, engaging in the kind of experimental survey-based research that you're doing here. I mean, I wonder if you could kind of talk a little bit about how you structure the survey. Like, what were you thinking about in terms of looking at a population to study, the kinds of questions to ask, and how to frame them for the audiences that you were presenting the questions to in order to get the kind of data you needed to draw reliable conclusions about your research questions? Sure. So we wanted to um, be able to make claims about the, about the American population broadly. So one of the three studies was fielded on a nationally representative sample of voting age Americans that allow us to, to generalize the, the findings to, the, to, the, to that population. Um, two other studies were uh, corroborations. They were like theoretical replications and extensions of that, that main study. So they were done on convenient samples. Um, but because like the, because these findings all point in the same direction, we, we feel pretty good about about the, the generalizability of the, the finding from the sample to uh, the population of, of voting age Americans. Um, as far as how we set the study up um, and how we measured these things, we um, we weren't really charting new ground in in those areas. Um, we were really building on accepted best practices in in the, the literatures we're working with. Uh, so the, the very basic, um, way that a survey experiment works is you provide some basic information. Um, we, we call these vignettes. So you'll provide a handful of sentences, right? Like not, not a lot of information because people aren't going to read a long thing. Like, you know, I couldn't give them an, a law review article or even a newspaper article to, to read and respond to because they would read the first 80 words and then click through the next page. Um, so we give them a, a short vignette that describes what's going on. Um, and the experimental manipulation, like I said, is some, um, often just a sentence or two in that vignette that changes across one or two or three versions of the vignette. And we randomly assign people into which of those they'll see, right? So people don't see all of them and they don't choose which one they see. It just, it's, uh, they're randomly sorted by the, uh, the program where we program the, the survey, right? So by some software, basically. And then for the, the questions, um, like questions about how political the court is and the, the court's legitimacy and those sorts of things. Again, we, we drew on we drew on um, prior studies on, on the same topic. Uh, so political scientists have been interested in studying public opinion and um, public perceptions of the court's legitimacy for over 30 years now. So there's there's a big literature on, on how to measure this um, and. Uh, most, like I guess, the, the central measure is one developed by Jim Gibson and some some colleagues, uh, and and we use that battery. So that's a, a handful of questions, um, four to six questions about 
um, sort of trust in the Supreme Court to make the right decisions for everybody um, and some views about like court curbing, right? Like, would you be in favor of, of, you know, stripping some of the court's powers if it consistently made decisions that the majority of Americans thought were bad and, and things like that? And then we just pull um, from across the, these six questions, we we factor analyze them and pull the, the latent dimension that kind of ties the six together. And, and that's the, the legitimacy measure. Well, so the takeaway I got from the paper was that this kind of legitimizing rhetoric works, or at least can work in some circumstances. Like how well did your studies suggest it works? And are there areas where it works better or worse than, than others? So as far as how well it works, you mean like uh, how big were the effects? So the effects on um, viewing the court as less political were were pretty big. Um, so folks who saw the legitimizing treatment compared to those who didn't um, were across studies often around 10 to 15 percent less likely to, to view the court as political. Um, on the legitimacy side of things, the effects were smaller. Um, so it was more probably more like like 5% or something like that. Um, so numbers that are just, you know, not zero, like we got a, we got a meaningful effect, but, but not a really, not a really large effect. Um, as far as how, how the effects might vary across context, that's a, that's a really good question, but not one that I can probably answer from, from what we've got. Um, I think we would have to see more studies across more context before I could speak with much confidence about, you know, the, the, the scope of the court's ability to do this. Um, you know, and it's also possible just looking forward and kind of where the court is today and where the court's possibly going to be going in the very near future, the, the more controversial the court becomes sort of in general, the, the more controversial the things it does become, it's very plausible that we'll see the ability of justice to do this diminish. Right. Um, but that's that's speculative, to be clear. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this is. Uh, I, I don't want anyone to, to take away that this is a thing that's true about the world and will be for all time. Right? We find that the court has this ability right now, or the justices have this ability right now. But that doesn't mean that they they will forever as context changes. One interesting takeaway that I got out of your paper, and correct me if I'm misunderstanding it, but it seemed like what your study showed was that the legitimizing effects of this kind of rhetoric were more effective when people agreed with the outcome of the decisions than when they didn't agree with the outcomes of the decisions. And to the extent that that's the case, do you think that's important? Uh, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a group of folks in political science who have for a long time argued that whether people agree with what the court's doing or not doesn't really matter for legitimacy and for views of the court. And um, this paper is one uh, of a couple that I'm working on that suggests that that's not true, that people actually do care about the policy outcomes. Um, so you are more likely to view the court as legitimate when you win, right? Um, all, all things being equal. And uh, the, the findings here do um, do uh, corroborate uh, that view. So I, I think that the view that the agreement doesn't matter is changing in political science, uh, but that has been the view for the, the dominant view, at least for, for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting to think that like winning 
plus legitimizing rhetoric seems like it's better from an institutional perspective for the court than winning without the legitimizing rhetoric. And so this goes back to what I was saying before about how how things could change in the future. Now that we have um, a solid, you know, conservative or, or Republican majority, we're going to probably be seeing less of a mix of of the the two teams winning than we've conven- con- uh, kind of conventionally seen in the recent past, right? So when when we had a five four court and both sides, so to speak, could could plausibly claim a couple of high profile wins every semester, then everybody was playing the game of you win some, you lose some, and um, and if it becomes the case with a six three conservative court that, that um, you know, liberals or progressives don't feel like they're winning those high, high profile cases very much. They're never, you're never getting that, that treated to agree boost. Right. And so that, this is part of why I think that we, we could see that the world is, is changing, but that, that's a, something that we need to study. So one thing I was wondering when reading this paper in particular was like, in a world where one of the Supreme Court justices came to you and said, based on this research and the findings that you've made, you know, what should I do? How should I think about these findings in terms of my own decision making, both about how I talk about the court, but also maybe about how I think about deciding cases? And would the answer you give be different if you were like, being approached by, say, Justice Sotomayor versus, say, Justice Kavanaugh. <laughs> uh, that's an interesting question. I, I've never thought about giving a Supreme Court justice advice before. I have to admit. Um, so I think if the if the advice was supposed to be about protecting the court's legitimacy, then I would tell them what they need to do is emphasize, um, you know, the court's courty nature, right? Try to downplay the, the political and policy things that the court does. Um, I would tell them that they would be probably, uh, you know, wise to, to point to things like the, the large fraction of the court's cases that are unan- unanimous. Um, and yeah, downplay disagreement, but remind people that they're winning, right? It is the, the big thing with like the, the unanimity, right? Remind people that they're winning lots of the cases. And if um, you're speaking to an audience that, you know, lost a case, like don't mention that, you know, don't, don't bring that up. Um, so I, I don't know if like normally any of this is like great advice, like in, in, you know, terms of like American democracy or anything, but if just, just purely in the, the interest of the institution, that would be the sort of thing that I would, that I would tell them. Well, so you've been following this kind of rhetoric really closely as part of your scholarship, obviously, I mean, from your perspective, how good do you think the justices actually are at implementing the kind of institutional interest of the court through this kind of rhetoric? And are there kind of instances you've seen that struck you as like likely to be more versus likely to be less effective? I think that um, that that Roberts is pretty good at this. So I haven't seen very much of the new justices yet to, to speak to that. Of course, um, Amy Coney Barrett gave a recent talk at the McConnell Center about how the court is not not political, and um, that I, she didn't do a, a particularly bad job. I think this is you know one of the ones we saw pretty cynical reactions to among uh, people who who follow the court. Um, 
but I, I think I mean, maybe one takeaway is that like a, a lot of this sort of activity, it's not hard for them, right? You just, if you just talk about like the textbook version of like what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, then, then you're apt to, to get these sorts of, of, um, you know, reactions, uh, from, from at least from relatively low information listeners. Right. Um, so again, not necessarily from, from academics or from, from folks sitting in a law school or something like, you know, law students, I mean, even, or whatever, but, um, but, you know, among the sort of modal American, like that civics textbook is probably a sufficient sort of thing. Um, so it, it's not something that, that takes a, a great deal of skill. And that's part of why I think this can can be an effective thing that the court can do if the larger political context doesn't just push the, the court so far one direction or the other that that they can't just like bring it back with, with the rhetoric. Well, so Logan, in, in closing, I wonder if you could talk about where you're planning on going with this research in the future. Are you planning on continuing to focus primarily or exclusively on the Supreme Court and its interactions with the sort of voting public and their perceptions, thinking about looking maybe at other institutions, like, you know, how might this affect what Congress does and said, or sort of where do you see this project going as you move forward with it? So I am looking um, at extending this sort of work in two main directions right now. One is um, doing more work to to pin down the the extent to which agreement and disagreement with outcomes matters, um, and the other one is actually pretty similar to what you were just describing um, with like comparing across institutions. So uh, the inspiration for for this actually came from the uh, the, the leaks that we saw last summer. Um, you know, we we got another one of those sort of rare looks behind the curtain. Um, and what this, uh, got me and, uh, and another co-author thinking about was how, um, leaks into sort of how the court actually works, um, in, uh, might affect public perceptions, right? So can those, um, can a, can a glimpse at how, how things work, um, kind of behind closed doors, in other words, can that upset the textbook understanding that, that people have of how courts do their work? Um, so we wanted to see, uh, in, in that study, uh, if, if that look, um, again, if that peek behind the curtain, as it were, causes people to think about the court as less different, as more like Congress, as more like other political institutions. So we're, we're having folks compare, um, you know, different institutions to one another, uh, and you know, using survey experiments again to, to manipulate the, the, the things that they're thinking about when they're making these comparisons. Um, so those works are both in progress. I don't have anything to report um, in particular yet, but, but yeah, that, that's that's where we're going next. Awesome. Well, they sound fantastic, and I really look forward to reading them. I really enjoyed this paper and your your previous work, and uh, I think you're doing a fantastic service helping us better understand the nature of the Supreme Court as a political institution and the salience of the court to the voting public. A, a lot of people talk about it with, you know, a kind of uh, uh, confidence that I don't think is necessarily merited. And I feel like, you know, this really helps me better understand what's taking place. Thank you. 
Society. He's a pillar of Gotham society And the newspaper columnists all would love to know I'm in love with the Honorable Mr. So-and-so He goes out with a fashionable lady, so-and-so. While they dine and they dance in a swell room, I must wait in a stuffy hotel room for the moment so rare that's convenient for him to spare. He gets terribly annoyed if he doesn't find me there. Oh, why must I be living in a back street just so he can hide me? I long to shout it from the housetops instead of keeping it all inside. There are so many fascinating places I could go. Invitations galore, I get nightly. Awfully sorry, I tell them politely. 